and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome back to Thinking Kind with Lucas Klein. It has been about a month since I began the podcast, and it is currently July 2021. Already I can see that there is a listenership growing in Japan, the Netherlands, Germany, France, and of course the United States. This is pretty exciting, so keep listening. And some people are sending messages and feedback. A main theme of the feedback is that the tact and thoughtfulness that I am using is filling a much-needed gap in public discourse. That's very nice to hear. As always, if you like what you're hearing, or you like what you're about to hear, please click the subscribe button in whatever podcast program you're listening through, and leave a review. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can go to patreon.com and search for Thinking Kind, and subscribe to the show. Or you can go to www.thinkingkind.com and you can find all the information there, including written narratives of the podcast. In this episode, I would like to talk about what seems to be a cultural attack on reason itself from multiple sides. First, I will discuss the idea raised in episode one further that we are all overwhelmed and anxious about the massive technological shifts that have taken place since the modern computer has been implemented into the world. And I will present some ideas as to how this has affected right-wing and left-wing relations. I will hopefully then transition into describing how reason itself has been under assault. Right and left-wing terms are not sufficient to describe the differences at hand in this country right now, the United States, or the West. It seems more fitting to delineate our people based on the following. Those who respect the capacity to reason and dialogue, and those who would like to force you to think as they do. And these camps can be found on both sides of the political and ideological right and left. I will use the term left and right as follows, however. Left, a group who wishes to knock down and rebuild all or most institutions. Right, a group who wishes to preserve historical operations and firm up institutions. The proliferation of ideas through social media and technology platforms has been activating the left-wing hope that humanity can advance into a utopia of sorts, and that they can do away with what they view as useless social structures. The right-wing, or the tradition-based segment of society, now has an increased worry that this kind of reformation is dangerous and that it will result in an overly radical adoption of new perspectives that will obliterate tradition. Tradition could be looked at as they look at it, which is the preservation of certain forms of wisdom. And this is what is activating the unfortunate ethnic division in the country at present. I would encourage you not to think along these lines for this discussion especially, because ethnic divisions or racial divisions as delineating factors 
are not sufficiently complex. They are not useful paradigms to understand what is happening in our collective consciousness. We all now seem to believe that the capacity is at hand to capitalize on a mass influence through technology and that we have the ability to change the mindset of the populace in lightning speed. Both sides appear to feel as though they must pounce on this opportunity. This is scary to the right wing because, in fact, changing tradition is scary business, as you don't know whether the newfound idea or tradition or pattern is going to be much worse than the pillar that was knocked out. Here is the transition to the next topic. The assault on, or what I fear is the assault on reason. This fear that arises within our society as a result of the tension between innovation and preservation may have something to do with what I'm calling an attack on reason itself. It has correctly disturbed some people, including me, that now using the scientific method and emphasizing its value has been assigned or consigned to certain ethnic groups and to some sort of colonial inheritance. And there is a skepticism toward anyone claiming to use the capacity to reason. It's as if we all know we exist in a world where the word reason no longer means to systematically review and to make linear sense or to form coherent viewpoints. If someone declares that they are trying to be reasonable, that declaration is now taken as a skeptical declaration. And the reaction that such a person uh, is doing this, I should say the reaction to such a person, is actually as though they are operating under an illusory set of beliefs. We look at each other now as if the other person is under some sort of delusion, and we ourselves were just deft enough not to drink the potion or the Kool-Aid. On a more macro-social level, it is as though the left is saying to the right, hey, stop pretending to be reasonable or to use historical wisdom. We know you're not reasonable or wise, and we know where we should be going progressively in society. We know how to get there, so follow us, and if you don't, we're going to discard you. It's as though the right is saying back to the left, we know that you're trying to destroy what we rely upon through history. We don't think you have good intentions, and we don't think you have the ability to do this radical reformation. Tradition has to be preserved, and by the way, we don't care much about change. In fact, we think change is a code word for destruction. There is a cacophony of ideological chatter right now. It's as though we all worry that unless we stand highly vocal and pronounce with righteous authority what we believe to be true, that we will be swept away by an overwhelming wave of indoctrination. Indeed, I can see why we would all be feeling this way. Social media and technology has created these actual conditions, leaving people feeling like they are standing on an information sand with a tsunami wave of ideas coming at them. In Athens, ancient Athens, by the way, there was one village reader who would stand on a platform in the village square and boom the news of the day. Athenians then had information for a period of time that they could consume and talk about together. Now we have thousands and millions 
of village readers in electronic form coming toward our sense apparatus through Wi-Fi signals at the touch of a button or even the sound of your voice. Perhaps this is why there has been some sort of social media culture of religious indictment and inquisition. It's as though we are worried that the technology platforms are acting as a subliminal Federation warship, threatening to obliterate our moral and psychic integrity. We greet each other online now, especially through social media platforms, basically by saying, declare yourself enemy, because I cannot afford to let a Trojan horse into my gates. The metaphor is obvious, but the literal extension is present. Think about that. Our technology systems, roughly called the computer world, actually have viruses that infect systems. The most recent incarnation would be social media bots, which are actually conscious efforts to force narratives through communities, through illusory consumption. That actually is scary, because they claim to operate through the mechanism of reason. Returning to the tension between openness to new experience and the preservation of tradition. One tradition that none of us can afford to really lose is that of thinking reasonably. The term reason now requires some detail. Allow me to engage in a brief philosophical discussion. It has been hard to make sense of the world since humans began sensing and thinking. We cannot afford to engage in what seems like an intentional muddying of the waters of reason itself. There has been a push recently in academia to emphasize the use of thinking strategies and epistemologies that are not commensurate with European Enlightenment thinking. The Enlightenment brought about an emphasis on reason, logic, and reviewing evidence, as opposed to religious conviction or the felt sense that one is simply correct. The claim that there is such a thing, as there has been a claim recently, that non-linear thinking exists, is not helpful. There is no such thing as non-linear thinking or reasoning. I should say there's no such thing as non-linear reasoning. And we should not claim that there is. We are all struggling to add linearity or connectable perspectives to a world that is entropically confusing and complex. We should not pretend that ideas that do not make sense are in fact exhibiting some sort of alternative structure of reason. Neither camp should applaud this. It is true, however, that an openness to not knowing, to not strictly inhabiting a world of reason and rationality, is very important for things like artistic endeavors, self-discovery, and creativity. I am making the point here that when it comes to our across-the-aisle public discourses, we must dedicate our efforts toward making sense. The Western world is currently engulfed in a struggle to understand how people make sense and engage in the act of understanding itself. A colleague of mine used to meet in Central Park with E.E. E. Cummings and said that Cummings would occasionally look off and say things like, everyone knows but no one understands. Epistemology is a Greek word that means understanding. It is derived from the word episteme, which means knowledge, and logos, which means an account for reason. My working definition of epistemology is the manner in which one acquires what is perceived to be true. 
my working definition focuses on the method there. One can get lost in the labyrinthine world of the history of philosophy with its tomes and complexities. I'm going to simplify two basic things here drastically. Any philosophers listening, please forgive me for cutting massive corners. Philosophy roughly means the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, experience, and existence. Plato, via Socrates, founded rationalism, which essentially makes the claim that we humans have innate processes that allow us to reason and understand beyond what is given to us in a particular field of sense evidence. Empiricism, founded by Aristotle, claims that we humans form what we call knowledge from sense experience, or what I would call evidence. This is the idea that if it is possible to gain knowledge at all, that that process can only be traversed by surveying one's experience. Immanuel Kant, Russell, and others have taken up the issue of how we transmit what is sensed into what is known, and I will not detail their works here. So why am I talking about this? What could these things mean for you who are listening presently? The most popular current epistemology now stands in what I might call self-righteous skepticism, subjective skepticism, of even the foundational processes of rationalism and empiricism. Both the act of thinking and the act especially of surveying the world and examining evidence are interpreted as a form of heresy toward either the church of wokeism or the church of the religious and ideological right wing. Everyone seems extremely skeptical of others who are not immediately agreeable. Disagreement and examination of evidence are taken as signs of some kind of immorality. In fact, asking for evidence in order to understand, or even to confront someone during a disagreement or dialogue, is now often seen as a microaggression on the left. If we allow this sort of cultural trend to continue, we will exist in an insane world, a purely doctrinal religious world. Asking for evidence, regardless of the motivation behind the request, is purely rational as a behavior. If you cannot articulate the evidence or rational basis for a position that you vocalize to others in any context, then you need to go back to the drawing room and think more deeply about where you are coming from, about your convictions, and perhaps you need to revise them if you cannot identify supporting evidence. This goes for both sides of any argument. Reason is a word that means nothing to an audience unless it is connected to describable evidence. Otherwise, it is just a word that someone uses to essentially say that he or she believes themselves to be correct. And why should anyone believe that person without observable, possibly tangible, evidence or logical frameworks? Over the last few years, there has been the emerging and disturbing claim from many on the left that rational and linear thinking, a focus on cause and effect, and a quantitative emphasis are the belongings of only certain racial groups. This is of course an absurd claim, and is easily falsified in multiple directions. It is also highly dangerous to promote the idea that enlightenment, prosperity, and progress is the inheritance for only certain groups. 
I will let you imagine to yourself right now what that danger is. If reason and evidence are not used for public discourse, what then should constitute the grounds for a public argument? Feelings? A felt sense that one is correct in one's assertions? President Trump used this as one of his core bases of his methods of persuasion, by the way. How many times did you hear him say, everybody knows it, and some very good people are saying it, followed by a position statement? This is not a mature or appropriate epistemology for public administration. The right should not condone it, and the left should not condone it. One of the key differences between those camps at present, however, is that the academy is starting to adopt and to embrace, and in some cases force, unreasonable and non-evidence-based epistemologies like testimony. I wonder if they know how ironically Trump-like they are being. Or was he taking them up on their own game? I honestly don't know, and I frankly don't care. I do care that those of us who possess the capacity to think out loud in a reasonable manner do so in a more confident way and hide less in public. Let me add something that I noted before. Nonlinear reasoning is an absurd phrase. Nonlinear systems exist, but nonlinear reasoning is an oxymoron. Reasoning requires linearity because thoughts need to be connected to one another in order for a unit of reason to take form. In personal encounters in your private life, in, say, your therapy if you're wise enough to pursue it, or in artistic endeavors, there is no problem with dwelling in the non-reasonable world. In fact, it's necessary. But we cannot confuse that world with the world of public discourse whether that is in our political spheres, our academic halls, or our newsrooms. That felt emotional experience can be sufficient to constitute an argument is absurd. It cannot be overstated. Your ability to feel is not sufficient as a basis for discussion. It is not even a laudable trait when it comes to discussing and debating. It is actually something that all of us should be cautious of. Our emotional instincts are important, but they are also based in primitive protections. They are not sophisticated or mature mechanisms designed to help us connect. For that, we have only the meeting space of reason. That reason is actually a meeting space for people is so important to emphasize. It is a space where we can look at the world together in order to establish foundations for living. So if someone disagrees with you and they present a logical argument, that is not a microaggression. If you think that someone is being aggressive by way of asking you for evidence, you are likely actually experiencing a feeling of inferiority around your own argument because it lacks articulation or evidence. Perhaps that person actually doesn't mean you very well, and perhaps they are being aggressive or flagrant. And perhaps they would love to prove you wrong in a debate and are not interested in discourse, really. But neither of those things 
relieve you of the burden of presenting a reasonable argument that takes into account actual data and evidence in the world. That is your duty if you would like to speak publicly. We are all thirsty and desperate for this, by the way, for the ability to connect with others who authentically want to think together about what is real, evident, and even logical. If you honestly approach others without actively trying to change their mindset, but you seek to engage and make sense together, you will attract many admirers, and you will improve your regard for yourself along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in to this sixth episode of Thinking Kind with Lucas Klein. Take good care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.